0: You're listening to the Detroit is Different podcast network. Always working the game when I lose
1: Welcome back to the Piper Carter podcast. You are listening to Piper Carter. And today we have a very special guest. I know I always say that our guests are special, but all of our guests are incredibly special. And today is no exception, one of our gems in Detroit. He's from a legacy family family. And he is from a legacy in the music business, and he is supporting and creating new legacies and pathways to new legacies here in the city. So I definitely want to jump right into it, and I want to welcome you, Adrian
2: Tanon. Welcome to the
1: Piper Carter Podcast.
2: Yay! I' an honor to be here with the legendary Piper. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> and I also want to bring in my co-host. So welcome, Brittany.
2: What up, Del Piper? Hi, Adrian. Hey, hey, what's happening?
1: What's happening? What's up, Deja? What's up, Jaira? Hey, Jaira. And then Deja is coming in. She's joining us as we speak. And so, um, you know what we'll do? Let's go right into your tech report, Jaira. Um, tell us, well, first of all, uh, I heard some a rumor about you. And I want to know, is it true? I heard that you're going to be rebuilding, um, a, like, a, a PC. Is this true?
3: Yes, I'm uh, rebuilding a PC that I got from my job. They were throwing away old computers, and everyone was just passing them up, and I was like, what? Who can just pass up a free desktop computer that's just sitting here? So when I took it, um. Of course, I asked for permission for my job if it was okay to take. So after that, I um, I went through all of them because there was quite a few. I took at least two or three of them. And the other two I gave to family and because they needed it. And the other one I just kept for myself so that I can rebuild it instead of paying you know $500 or more for a new desktop computer. So the only thing I'm pretty much, am I going to do What I'm going to do with it is I'm going to get a new motherboard and get some new RAM and uh, also some fans to make sure that everything is cool and then just make it more up-to-date and modern for this year while still using the old um, casing that the uh, original computer, you know, came with.
1: Okay, go, Gyro, with sustainable tech. That's what's up hey um so let's just welcome Deja into the room what's up Deja hey everyone
4: peace peace
1: you know what Deja um I wanted to make sure I have your Bandcamp correct can you just name your Bandcamp again yes my
4: Bandcamp is c-a-t-o-r-i-i-t yeah it's or yes yeah, www.bandcamp.com c-a-t-o-r-i-i-t
1: okay and since you've told us your band camp can you just tell us about your new project yep
4: it was really just supposed to be um a small ep comprised of loops and um just sounds that i had fun making and it turned out to just be something that sounded more like a sound pack and i thought that was cool too but that's really what it was and it kind of maybe interested in making sounds for producers.
1: And then but, what did you use? Yeah. How, like what what how did you make your beats?
4: Um I used some apps on my phone as well as Ableton and
1: Fruity Loops. Okay. So the Ableton is coming along. Slowly but surely. Okay. And it dropped on Dylan's birthday, there. right? February the 7th? yep february 7th still day and we used one of your songs on uh one of the last episodes so uh yeah you
0: got some you airplay
1: guys.
0: yeah you got airplay <laughs> <laughs>
4: thank you thank you thank you thank you
0: yeah yeah the project is absolute fire i already asked deja if i could borrow one she told me one was taken already
4: yeah, that's reserved, but could, he let me put it on the tape so people could hear it and I'm really grateful to him. So thank oh, yeah,
1: you. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Um, so um Jaira, I wanted to kick it back to you for a second because I wanted um Adrian to like weigh in, especially since he's involved with a lot of the important things that are going on downtown. But tell us about your um the the your tech report that you have.
3: So of course everyone knows. Um, that listen to the podcast. I'm really a Apple um, fan person, fanboy in a way. So I really adore Apple and how they have their new technology that they're always updating. And one of the things that they have, they haven't announced it, but there's been like leaks or um, like spread rumors. Well, not necessarily spread rumors, but it's been like leaks from... Apple themselves, saying that they're going to release some new Apple glasses. So there would be prescription and non-prescription. And they said that it could be, it could probably come out around 2023 to 2021. So this year, up until 2023, and in between that range, it can roll out. But um, these glasses are supposed to help. Um, Apple users be more integrated with their software as far as, for example, if you're using GPS, the GPS uh, lines that you see on your phone will actually appear in front of you in front of the road while you're driving. So it makes it easier for you to, you know, see where you're going without looking at your phone and distracting yourself from the road. Um, Not only that, like, your notifications that you see will also pop up, like, in a, on the side of the glasses. All in all, it would be, like, a way easier way to um, access all the notifications or um, things you normally see on your phone or notifications, like, directly right in front of you. I mean, in my perspective from it, I feel like it's going to be, I don't know, I feel like later on in the future, to hold um great potential but yet i don't know i'm kind of worried about it as far as uh like will it damage your eyes from looking at from having that like directly in your eyes like as a actual prescription glasses um i want y'all i want y'all input to see what you think about it what from what you heard what i said what do you how do you feel about it
1: y'all know I've, what i'm gonna say but i'm gonna just ask adrian well, I <laughs> like, what do you think about that adrian
2: But wasn't that already? Didn't they already introduce that? Because I remember, like, two years ago, that they I had some friends that were walking around with those glasses. They were like the Apple Smartware. Yeah, I feel like
1: they. I feel like they introduced it, but I feel like it didn't pick up. No,
2: it it didn't. I mean, this is the first time I'm hearing about them being prescription because that's the next level, right there. But yeah, I know. (laughs) I I saw. I I I, I've definitely had a pair on before, like two years ago, but I never. They just kind of like. Yeah, like you said, Piper, they kind of fizzled out. Not that they're yeah, not here. Is the future absolutely? But in, at that time, they they didn't take off.
1: Yeah, I remember. I remember seeing them in like high snobiety or something like that. But yeah, I never like, I never even met anyone that had them. So that's interesting. You met people that had them.
2: Yeah, I had this uh, this this gentleman was a lawyer. He was one of actually a uh, Mayor Kilpatrick's lawyers. The the, the young man that looked like super uh, Clark Kent, he had him all the time on. I don't know if you remember he was in all the pictures always, but he had him on all the time.
1: Yeah, I wonder like I' okay, like I could understand like notifications like you know like uh Siri or like somebody talking to you. but i I'm not I'm like how do you see how do you read that close and drive?
2: Yeah,
0: it sounds like a safety hazard waiting to happen
1: that's what I'm wondering
2: it's yeah. almost the predator movies where they like they show you the viewpoint of the predator and it's got all like the 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 information in it like you can still see the person but it just kind of the computer screens on your left and your right that's what that's a good like. point so, uh, yeah exactly
1: so that's a bit much stimulation for my brain i <laughs> I probably I, I wouldn't be able to concentrate
2: no it's 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 it takes a minute to get used to yeah
1: definitely i don't know do you know how much they are Jaira?
2: the price um
3: well they didn't have a like specific price because they can range honestly because you know there's going to be different variations of it due to the prescription addition to it okay so, got you you know and then not only that there's probably gonna be different bases as far as like different trim levels that you want it or um, different features that you want added. So they're probably going to be very customizable based on what your preference is. Wow. In the old Apple way. Nope.
1: Wow. I don't know. I mean, I'm talking junk. Y'all might see me with them. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I Why have not? everything else Apple, but I don't know. You have an Apple Watch? No, I didn't do that. No, I didn't. Do that. <laughs> No. Me
0: either. I like Apple products too, though. So, but yeah. I didn't need yeah, an Apple Watch personally. Else. I got
1: the iMac, MacBook Pro, and a couple of iPhones, and the most recent iPhone. But I didn't get the watch because I was like, what's the purpose of the watch if I have my phone? You know? So,
4: I feel like the watch is more useful if you're constantly on the go and you don't have time to access your phone, but you need to you know, get a message out real quick.
1: Yeah, I guess so. I could
0: see
1: that. I see people people doing their watch all the time. And I'm thinking like, it's so small. Like I wouldn't be able to see like what was happening. I just, even the phone is small, but yeah, I don't know.
0: People who have Apple watches seem to really, really love them. Like it's part of their like routine and communicating. But I say for me, I think Apple's most successful product in the last two to five years are definitely the AirPods. I feel like the AirPods really put like a dent for Apple, like when it comes to like innovation for some reason, even though Bluetooth headphones have been a thing for what over a decade now, the way that they um, crafted it and marketed it and how they look, I think they, they definitely nailed it.
2: Go Plus a, lot, a lot of apps like clubhouse not that i'm on it often but um you can't be on clubhouse if you had an apple it's not you know it's not android uh you know friendly so oh, a lot wow. of popular apple uh, uh you know friendly. yeah
0: yep. i didn't know that that's interesting
1: yeah like poor android people <laughs>
2: <laughs> you can't be part of the cool club right i no. guess right <laughs> Not that that's the cool club, because it's sometimes like, man, I'm working. How can I have this random conversation right now? But I'm sure.
1: (laughs) Well, speaking of the cool club, there's so many cool things about you. Well, thank you, first of all, Jaira. Thanks for bringing us that report. And uh, keeping us up to date. Thanks, Jaira. um, Yeah, like there's so many cool things about you that we could share. I was in my trying to think of like where to start. I think what I want to start with, Adrian, is let's just start with the most recent project that you're promoting right now. And then we'll go into all the other aspects of you that are super dynamic.
2: Um, I mean, you know, (laughs) you're saying this, that this is not self-proclamation. So thank you. I'm just, you know, just a, a humble public servant. But um, I'll, I'll go backwards. Can I go backwards, Piper, and just kind of say and, and we can talk about what we're working on in terms. Yeah, of Yeah, so, yeah. So I grew yeah. up. I grew up on Schaefer and Finkel in the restaurant business uh, on the west side of the city. Um, I always say if child labor laws were practiced, my family would be in jail for sure. Um, so I was years old on a milk crate, uh, you know, washing dishes, whatever, um, and grew up in hospitality. I really, you know, despised it growing up because everyone thought it was so cool to be in hospitality. My parents later went on and opened a restaurant in Farmington Hills. It's still there today. Um, and I worked there as, as a kid, too. I always have this story that I tell that, you know, everyone thought it was cool that I had this that, you know, was in the restaurant business. I was, uh, you know, I'm first generation. All my family's from Italy. We're still back and forth. A lot of my family still lives there. But one day I was a senior in high school. And one of my best friends was being recruited all over the country to play basketball. And I went home that, um, or I went to school that Friday morning, and uh, he says, Magic Johnson's picking us up for dinner tonight. It was just me, him, and Magic. And I went home, I was like, Mom, Dad, you're not going to believe this. Magic's picking us up for dinner. And my dad looks at me and is, you know, broken English. He goes, what are you talking about, man? you working tonight. You know, so my parents made me work. Um, so... Growing up in that business, I really didn't enjoy it. But later down the road, I there was a lot of skills that I learned that um, I brought to the mayor's office in terms of I started off as the founding director of customer service for the city. Um, but as I was going through each office, you know, I've been in the music business for a long time as well. So like Royce 59, Nine, Kid Vicious, a lot of the younger guys are all of our, our collective that, you know, we're cultivating and, and we've been around for years and years um, But as I'm going through each department and customer service touches every department in terms of how we can better serve not only our external customer, but our internal customer. I was looking at film. I was looking at festivals and and seeing how that we can better serve that, you know, that 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 customer. But at the same time, if we're going to work with film and we're going to work with with music festivals and attraction retention, how can Detroiters benefit? How can proper Detroiters that live in the city be able to, you know, whether it's be on the stages or whether it's have some sort of equity in a festival or whatever it may be in order to grow our, you know, our base from, from the mud, because we have to support our foundation. Otherwise, if we're not, we're pulling everybody in from everywhere else. We're not, we're not, we're not cultivating our foundation. That's the most important one. A lot of cities made mistakes. Um, So with that, what happened was around the country and around the world, um, a lot of music was being displaced in places where there was development. So you'd have a, a venue that was there 30 years, you get a new development where you know you see it everywhere New York, here, this, that, where they're like, Oh, great, cool neighborhood. And then they build this new project, fill it with new people, whoever, wherever they're coming from. And everyone that made it cool, they're like, Peace, you got to go, right? So, we are this position I have now. We call it 24 hour economy uh, ambassador, but what it is, it's really the economy from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., which is around our creative culture. So, it's around the venues, the clubs. But also, I always say it's not just about the party. I say, if you want to see a true 24-hour economy, go to Henry Ford Hospital. When a doctor, a nurse, a janitor gets out at 5, 6 in the morning, is there a restaurant to go? To? Is there a dry cleaner? Is there a grocery store? It's a job creator. But being in music and, and growing up in the industry and being here uh, in the city, I really, we have a focus on, um, you know, really trying to cultivate artists. I work very closely with Rochelle Riley, who is our our, our director of arts, culture, and entrepreneurship to really um, not make the same mistakes that, that other cities have and displace the the very community that makes that city attractive, that gives it its allure. And we want to see, you know, young men and women own their mud, create generational wealth, everything that we have to be intentional about. So there's many focuses, but that's pretty much, you know, what we're up to right now. Um, I know that I didn't, that's not how you wanted to do it, but I just felt like I wanted to give you the background of, of um, the mission and what we're doing um, and, and take it from there.
1: No, no, that's really good, and um, I think that's great too because I have an understanding of your history, but people listening don't. So it's <laughs> good to kind of give that. But let's dig into some stuff a little bit. Um, okay, sure. What part of Italy is your family from?
2: Uh, so my, my family's from northern Italy, from a place called it's uh Vittorio Veneto. It's like forty five minutes from uh, from Venice. So my father's from the north, and my mother's from the south. Uh, but my father comes from a family of twelve. He passed away in, uh, years ago, but him and his sister were the only ones that came over. To um, she started in Windsor, and then he came to Detroit when he met my uh, my mother, who who was uh, who was here with her parents. That they started the restaurant on and Finco. So they started working together, and you know, got married, had their dream to open their own restaurant, and that's how how it happened. But Northern Italy,
1: and then and then like so your the restaurant was already in your mom's family
2: it was yeah it was already so my father uh, my grandfather um had come from naples which pizza there it is had come from naples and uh, uh it was in new york uh in the bronx and then uh they had some opportunity to come to detroit to open a restaurant so they came here to detroit and opened the restaurant Schaefer and finger
1: wow that's great you know i yeah. love naples um i've been there like so many times i used to when I was working in the fashion industry, doing fashion photography in my other life, I was literally in Italy, in Naples, between Naples and France, and in and, 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 and all different parts of South of France, like, I don't know, I have probably been to Italy, like 150 times, no, no lie. And Naples, we would always go there, and we would stay in the country, we stay with, I worked for a photographer, and we'd stay with um, his well, he had a, a a a hairdresser that did the hair for us for the different shoots, and his family was from Naples, and we would stay, you know, like on their farm, and so that's the most incredible experience ever. If anyone can go to Naples and stay on a farm and milk a cow, that <laughs> is cool. talk about that. <laughs> that is amazing. But uh, the city, the architecture, just the people, the culture, and everything about Naples, I used to tease them all the time and say it reminded me of Black culture. (laughs) And I always used to make the joke with him about Hannibal. And he would say, don't joke. But seriously, a lot of the Napolitan culture, it reminds me of like Black culture, like the elders that played a a bocce ball or whatever in front of the corner store. And hang out like the I mean it's just so many things I could just like name that are hard to it, explain but
2: yeah it's, it's, you it's, that too. it's authentic and it's real and that's what you know like what you're saying is just, it's just real it's genuine it's you know it's down to earth it's 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 it, a it, to... it, it,
0: it really shocked me I only spent I probably spent only like four or five hours in Naples but it was so fast paced. And I guess I wasn't realizing how fast paced it was. But at the same time, that like Piper's point, there was so much culture. I think at the time, um, the subway station had just gotten redone. And they did basically like, it was like a tribute to art. So each stop had like This, like, most, like, amazing art that I've ever seen in my life. Like, kind of, you know, I don't know if you guys know, like, the African Bee Museum, the guy who does, like, all the different designs, like, all over Detroit. But it was, like, each station, yeah, like, each station, like, was super cool just like that, like, and then as far as, like, just, like, it was, it was so much culture there. There was a guy who owned this, like, clothing store, and he was using, like different, different African prints to do some of his clothes. like And it was just like, you can tell that the place has, for it to be, it's not Rome, it's not Venice. It's, you know, even though it's like the place where people say pizza was invented, it had its mm-hmm. own, like its own, just how Venice has its own feel. You step off the boat in Venice, the pace is slow. Naples was like a faster pace, but at the same time, it still had its like own feeling to it. Like it was very deep rooted in culture.
2: Yeah, yeah. Naples is it's 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 different. When you travel throughout Italy, it's like here too. Like down south is is a little different than it is up north. And it's just um, you know, you go through each region. You know, Italy is known for every region has their own little niche special product, you know? Mm. Source you're like, you know, the tomato San Marzano, the, the mozzarella yes. from Campania, the the prosciutto from you know Parma and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely.
0: Adrian, is it true that the San Marzano tomato is, you really can only get it from that area because of the soil, because of the volcano erupting? Is that a true story?
2: The the, the Vesuvio uh, Vesuvio Rock created this, yep, definitely. And you can only get it there. I don't know if you've seen that CNN special that they've been doing. Um, I forget the name of the actor that went there and, uh, and he visited San Marzano. And he was talking to the owner. He's like, man, we only have like 80 hectares here. Everybody calls their tomato the San Marzano. We could hardly, you know, we could hardly get enough around in Italy, let alone all mm. the- so people It's are-
0: almost, It's almost yeah. like a truffle, right? Like people, we have fake truffle. And like, so I didn't see that special, but I would imagine that they talked about if the if the can doesn't have this particular stamp, then it's truly not a San Marzano tomato. Which is 100%. wild to me.
2: Yeah. They have like DOC, DOCG, like Italy, you can yeah. only produce certain products out of that region in order to call it offensive. Yeah.
1: I know we went to the, the Limoncello <laughs> factory there. And uh, you know, just I, I know that all like all the different houses, like every house you go to, everyone has their wine that they make, you know, from their backyard. And Most of the folks are, you know, making their food. You know, they grow like most of their food, you know. And so, if they have the spinocchio or whatever they're making, or they make all their pastas, you know, by hand, and it's almost like blasphemy to like purchase pasta. (laughs) That's what. That was my experience, you know. Like everyone was really, really, you know, uh, like you know, my gnocchi, my you know, just uh, I love the pride uh that you know when I went that culture of pride like yeah like I made this I did this my family does this like that I found that to be like super cool I don't
0: know I if that s- is your, I- ex- has been your
1: experience
2: go ahead I'm sorry I didn't...
0: well just piggyback and I know Piper wants you to answer that and then I'll say I'm want to develop my own process for making fresh tomato sauce from tomatoes and just to see how people make community sauces like It's like this, you know, you can maybe speak to it, but it's it's like a holiday where once the tomatoes have harvested, the whole family is cutting tomatoes and they're making the whole process. And then everyone has enough pizza or tomato sauce. Well, not pizza sauce, but enough tomato sauce to go around almost for like a whole entire year. And then like, you know, you can unfreeze it, you know, and then then you can add your basil and oregano and then make it, you know, whatever pasta sauce you want. But it comes from a community community you know, a community filling the sauce does.
2: Yeah. You know what? I just like many cultures, it's like food is the convener, right? Food is the convener it brings people together. I always said, uh, you know, food and, and, and at the table is one of the most powerful tools there are. You know, you get people around a table, whether it's family, whatever it is, you create memories you, you know, in, in our line of work, you create action plans and then hopefully go out and live them, you know. So um, food is, is it's a staple. And, and hopefully now, I mean, obviously what we've gone through, um, you know, with the pandemic, which we're still in, we're doing that, but food is taken. I had a conversation today with a, with a, you know, a culinary um, friend of mine, that food in terms of people cooking and product and awareness, these, this last year, people have, you know, really um, gotten more into it than they were even before. Um, so I think food is, you know, is, is got a great future, God willing, you No. Know?
1: And Adrian, can you talk about, um like your experience being in a, a restaurant tour family like what you've learned or what you've taken from growing up in that experience that that you're doing now in your work
2: um you know what I I, I really look at it in, in talking about cultivating a lot of young men uh, mostly men we, we mentor some young women as well which is great um we we're talking about the producer um you know being a a, a female producer We need more of that. We need more female artists. I know, Piper, you've been working um, many years with with female artists, but that's something in Detroit that we're always obviously looking for. Um, But um, I think, you know, I tell that Magic Johnson story um, that my parents in the business, you know, they were, that was a lesson, you know, focus, discipline, sacrifice, everything that it takes in order to really do whatever your craft is in life, to do it well and to do it I mean, as far as we know, this is not a practice run. This is our lives. This is what we're trying to do. I think we're all, you know, and, and, and I speak for, you know, um, Detroit, because I, I know the people that, that I'm around, who I grew up around, like, we want to be epic here, right? We want to do epic things. And Detroiters that, that are doing things all over the world do epic things. So I just think that um, it's about giving your best. It's about uh, creating something that's hopefully sustainable. It's about... Um, just, just um, making a difference. I mean, I, I know that everybody on this call. I know that because I, I, Piper, especially you, because I know you. Um, that's what you live to do. That's what you've been doing for 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 all these these years. Um, and that's what you continue to do. Um, but I just think that the lessons are life lessons, and I think that you have to apply them. We can talk them all day. We can, you know, we can use all these different cliches. This that if you don't live it, it, it doesn't mean anything. If you just talk it. So I think the difference in terms of, you know, what what growing up in the business and what my parents instilled and and having a restaurant, the same restaurant for one for 50 and one for 40 some years is you're only as good as your last performance. Yesterday means nothing. And every day you got to come out and you got to supersede your last performance and, and never rest on laurels. Wow. I love I love
0: what you just said, Adrian, because. Um, I've heard someone say, my old boss used to say, don't worry about this sale. It's the next sale. And that's so true. You're only as good as the last plate of food. You know, people in the food industry, like you just said too, COVID showed us that people are still willing to eat out, right? There's still people like carry out food. People like going out to eat. You know, they like supporting the food industry, but as the traders are anywhere in the world, If the food isn't consistent, if the slightest thing is different, you know, people notice things like that. So I would just say, again, I really love what you just said about, you know, your first I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, your next meal is, you know, your this meal is only as good as your next. You know what I mean? You have to be consistent.
2: You're only as good as your last pizza. Yeah. (laughs) Period. You know, 100 percent, 100 percent you know
1: um, adrian can you talk about just on your family business like how how has um COVID impacted the business and
2: how are y'all pivoting so so that's interesting you ask that um you know it, it, not just in in the family business but also in music um i think that what having you know um, being from business, coming as an entrepreneur, coming from the music industry, I think that's what makes us relevant in our government roles is because we know the needs of businesses because we are in the businesses. So I think that, yeah, pivot, pivot, pivot. So um, the first this summer, as you know, outdoor space will never be the same again. Look at um, like at the restaurant, we created all this, you know, garden tables, um, you know, did seating out in the, like the garden garden. We were growing tomatoes and all that, like just use the land to. To create any sort of seating that you can, I don't know if y'all been to uh, East Eats on uh, Navajo and uh, on the east side. Have you been with Queku and, and uh, Black Metro Eats? Have yeah. you all been? So, like, like I said, that popped up from a abandoned. You know, they bought the the land from the land bank and they created this space. That's what you know. What this has caused in terms of um, businesses and innovation and, and, and things of that nature is that. It's what you don't know that you don't know, right? You look at a hundred percent pie. Twenty-five percent is what you know. Twenty-five percent is what you don't know. Fifty percent—the biggest piece of the pie—is what you don't know that you don't know. So just um, innovating and and you know creating, like we do, have to do in our own businesses, um, and, and helping others do it in their businesses. So we're seeing a lot of that right now because you know a lot of people their businesses um, they were not able to to pivot. They were not able to innovate. Um, whether they threw their hands up or they just didn't have the option to do it, I think that the you know the lessons um, are um, you know just just uh, going into the unknown. Does that answer your question? I wasn't sure. I went on a tangent there for a moment. Well, so.
1: yeah, I mean, because a lot happened, you know, and I'm just wondering, like. I mean, but you answered it, like, you know, going into the outdoor space a bit more and just being a bit creative about spacing and being open to try something new. Like, that's what I hear is, yeah, it's not all figured out, but uh, working, you know, obviously within the confines of, you know, what what folks have to do according to, like, state regulations and stuff. But just being, yeah, I hear that. Um, And then I'm wondering, like in terms of the you know the food are y'all did y'all have to change your menu or offer different offerings or did it impact in that kind of way
2: no you know what we really um, when the when the pandemic started we really you know I said you know we want to be a, a tech company to where we really build our curbside build our specialty program build our new website do all that to where you become almost like a very lean, like you can get anything delivered anywhere, dry froze, whatever it is. Um, Our chef Ernesto, who lives right behind the restaurant, um, really worked on the garden. And that was like kind of the first phase of it. Then we opened and created outdoor space. And the food, I think that, you know, you just constantly keep, you know, the, the rest are, as you know, with your innovating pizza, but at the same time, what's the foundation? You're building off a foundation. Some of the recipes in Italy, or wherever they down south, or soul food, or or uh, Arabic food, or whatever it may be, it's what they the same recipe for a thousand years. You know, it's that authenticity that you're trying to create. So, how do you fine tune the authenticity and perfect the authenticity without changing, you know, the 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 you know maybe the presentation, but you're still cooking food the same old world flavors that people um, when they only had their garden and when they only had their know, their livestock that you can, you know, that you can eat like, like that. That's the freshest, um, gotten away from a lot of that with, you know, Monsanto and all the different, and I know they're trying to feed the mass world mm-hmm. hunger and do all this, but when you start, start altering things, um, you don't know what that could do to your body. Right. So it's, <laughs> getting back to, yep, yep, it's really getting back to like the, the organic, the heirlooms, you know, heirloom tomatoes are, what the original tomato was before people started adding all these different things to it in order to, you know, do whatever they were trying to do. You sound um, like Dr.
0: Sebi, Adrian. Huh? You sound like Dr. Sebi.
2: I don't know. Pardon my ignorance. I don't know who that Who's Dr. Sebby?
0: Well, I don't know. Do you know the rapper Nipsey Hussle?
2: Do I know? Of course. Yeah.
0: Okay. So Nipsey, well, there's a doctor that back in the 80s, he went to federal court and they were suing him for saying that he had cured AIDS basically by helping people uh, figure out what they are to eat. He's a believer that there are certain things that we as humans are not supposed to eat. And if we eliminate hybrid fruits and vegetables, number one, and drink a water that's at a certain pH level, anything can be healed. So he won that court case in the 80s. And so I'd say in the early 2000s, all the way, you know, up until now, a lot of people are eating under his premise, which is called alkaline eating. And Nipsey Hussle, before he died, was doing a documentary about that.
2: You know what I do? I do. OK, now it's all coming back to me because that was the whole conspiracy theory with Nipsey, that he was uncovering all of this. And he was going to bring it to light. And that's what happened before they knew that his, you know, his, you know, what 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 the truth was, what happened. Yes, but when you
0: bring the heirloom tomatoes up and talking about the original state of the tomato, that's exactly what Dr. Sebi's teaching was, is that if we get back to the root of some of the way our bananas and tomatoes and don't eat necessarily broccoli, because that's a hybrid, you know, though, that's the same premise. You're saying the exact same thing he was.
2: Uh, You know, uh, you know, I know there's the, the movement slow food and the whole like, what it is it's like eating things naturally and organically what what they were meant to be right we altered them over mankind altered them over the years to you know for whatever was behind it but um no there's there's truth to that you know they talk about juicing and all these different things that that are truly like you know um that that are truly medicinal things that work i mean look look at now with all the you know look at cannabis look at um, you know um, ayahuasca well, all these different things that now they're saying oh these things I mean somebody at some point was either not making money on it or was was you know that they would say this is bad when these are things that actually are very healing to whether it's mental health whether it's you know something that is 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 for the body whatever it may be so yeah getting back to you know mother nature is is, is definitely um, hopefully you know what we all need to be doing
1: I love that. Um, I wanted to switch gears a little bit Mm -hmm. and talk a bit about, um, your, your other life, (laughs) your music industry life. And, um, can you tell us first though, like, you know, just that you dropped a couple names, but just how did you get into the music business?
2: Uh, you know what I've always been, my mother has always been, um, you know, a big advocate in music and like I was eight years old. I was at the Fox, you know, Stevie Wonder. She she used to bring me to all like the shows and just really was always, uh, into, into music. And then I went to to college and, um, I, I was playing in some bands and traveling across the country and thought I was gonna be a rock star, but it didn't work. It didn't work out, but I started managing bands in college and just naturally, um, and then, uh ended up coming back here um, and then that's when uh, I started hanging out with uh, Royce and Kino and, um, and, and and all those guys at the time and just kind of was around them all the time but quietly like not really like talking about music just being like those were you know those that's my fam so just being around it um, and then um, uh, Royce's younger brother Kid Vicious uh, one day he was like 18-19 years old and we were talking and he was like when I You know, when I become, you know, he was an aspiring artist at the time, but no one really like took him, you know, he's Royce's little brother, but he was like, I want to use my platform to, you know, for social justice, for marginalized communities, for, you know, for the oppressed. I want to start a basketball league. This is a young kid talking about all this stuff. At the same time, before I even knew I was an ally, I was already creating, you know, opening doors that I didn't know what I was doing, but I was just around the community that I was around and what I grew up in. Um, and it just was a lot of artists and a lot of thought leaders and a lot of um, poets and people that, you know, we all came up around. I mean, you guys have been in this pipe or you've been in it for a long time, right? We know a lot of the same people. Um, so I was uh, uh, started with Vish. And then for some reason, um, uh, one day I just had to get out of town. I was like going through some stuff, whatever. And I went out to New York um, and I went to a prime show. And I just went from, um, you know, I left in the morning, fly to New York. To go to the show and Vish is is, is Royce's hype, hype man. He was on the flight and he was like, um, I was like, surprise, what's up, Vish? You know, and he's like, hey, what's happening? He was real down, and I said, I said, Vish, what's what's going on? He said, he says, oh, you know, I'm working hard, and you know, everyone's on their own focus and their grind, and you know, not putting anything behind me. I said, let me hear your new music. I heard his new music, and it was like, it was I was just blown away by it. Um, and we ended up starting a label. Um, so he's the one artist that I still do manage. Um, but with that label, we've cultivated a lot of other, um, young artists and how do you mentor, how do you get artists to be independent and be their own artists? Um, obviously work to, 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 you know, to make money, but at the end of the day, what are you going to do with that money? One, we got to get you some W9s. We can't let you just take cash all the time. Then you have no credit. You have no, you know, then how do we work to get you you know, to buy a home? How do we, so that's kind of what our label does um, in terms of trying to cultivate. Um, and then we work, we have a, a collective called, we are culture creators that uh, my business partner, uh, Michael Reyes, and his uh, his partner, Liz Stone uh, started. Um, and we started a production arm of that to where we do a lot of, um, you know, take spaces and, and, and hopefully create access equity where our young Detroiters, we talked about earlier, how, in developing cities, these all these new spaces are are built and they're beautiful, and they end up filling them with people that aren't from here. How do we say no? This place is for you. Um, so we work with a lot of partners in order to, you know, to if young men and women can't see it, feel it, touch it, be it, how can they, you know, dream it? How can they be it? Um, so that's it's not just about the music; it's about uh, also about just um, you know creating quality of life and not only world class artists but world-class citizens so the music is the stem of it you go back to nipsey hustle i always say nipsey is the you know he is the um he's the blueprint you know nowadays to be an artist you can't just you know yes of course there's all the the different artists that get signed and put a 24 million dollar you know (laughs) diamond on their head which i don't even know where that money's coming from you know i'm saying god bless right right Right. and that's crazy but the normal artist is not going to be able to do that. I mean, we have so much, and maybe you're not the artist, maybe you're the hundred jobs behind the artist, as you know, as, 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 uh, Sean Anderson foundation says, I mean, that's a great model. So again, how do you create this creative economy, let young men and women, you know, dream about it and be it in, in, in Detroit and in, in the world, but starting here in Detroit, how do we keep our artists here? So it's not just about the label. It's about, um, you know, the sustainability of, of letting, you know, people and trying to guide people to, to fulfill their dreams. I mean, Piper, you have so many young men, and you know, you work with, with Dilla Day and with, um, you know, the, the, the Charles H. Wright and all these young minds that, you know, they get to a certain point, they're like, ah, I can't really go into music because there's not really money in it for me. How do we create it that there is money in it for you? And that's about not displacing the, the, the things that are the foundation of our city, because, if we create it and we fulfill these dreams and we're able to create things for for the youth and for others to, to latch onto, people are gonna come here and they're going to support it. And the industry is gonna have to come here because they're gonna have it's great to have a pipeline to LA, but you can't buy a house in LA. You can't build generational wealth in LA. In Detroit, you can still do it. That so, is such a great point. Yeah, yeah. So And I love that. Um, I
1: wanna I wanna take that. And kind of pivot that into the conversation about the position you have. Can you tell us? Because you know, I want to maybe give us an understanding of you know what what your position is and 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 how that kind of came to be. And you know, there's a bunch like you said all over the world, but um, I don't think a lot of people know about this position.
2: Yeah. So so as, as I said, organically, just as we're you know director of customer service, going through every department all these frontline positions were, you know, people that couldn't make it in the music industry because there was no industry here. There's no creative economy. Well, it's starting, but there, there wasn't a creative economy making it in Detroit. As we all know, 10 years ago was moving to LA and you go to LA now and there's, you know, there you go into a room and it's like five of everybody else and a hundred Detroiters, you know? So, um, so just working with these individuals of how can I help? How can I be part of building this economy um, we just started working and we started creating, um, you know, avenues in order to, to highlight and to create awareness. And then um, I went to, I started speaking on panels, uh, Germany, and, where did I go? Germany, Stockholm, Berlin, um, which is Germany, yes, definitely New York, uh, all over the, the world. And I met this, uh, this young man, his name is Mirk Merlan, Milan and he is the first nightmare. They're calling him nightmares around the world. So mayor of the night, right? Um, So he was the first one out of Amsterdam and just doing innovating things in terms of, you know, being a liaison between the police department, city government, um, the health department, all these different things in order to champion an economy that most people think is, you know, is a, you know, the freaks come out at night. That's not the doctors, the nurses, the lawyers, the people that Want to come to your city, live, work, and play? Those are the people, the thought leaders, the future are the people that are out at night, and also the the club is the convening place. If you use the club right, in terms of yeah, party, have a good time, whatever it may be. But you're talking about things, you know, in terms of we talked about food, bringing people around a table. So does music, and so does you know, it breaks down barriers, it brings people together, it it it, it does things that that other other venues cannot even touch um so how do you champion those you know those venues those hours so we started working with uh venues um close to, you know uh partnered with DPD um instead of going and closing a place down um they would call me and say hey we have some issues here Adrian can you go talk to them so i would go and i would talk to the you know the venue owners most of them we know and just kind of sit with them during the week and say okay here's what we got to do in order for you to be compliant for you not, for DPD not to close you down, for the health department not to close you down. So we were doing that and getting it really. And one thing that we all know, too, we tended to work in silos in Detroit for many, many years because everybody was on their grind. But if we're, you know, as new people come in and, and, and pre-pandemic, you know, people were coming in like crazy. If we're not unified as Detroiters, people are going to, you know, walk through us, around us, whatever it is. I mean, you know, we talk about the no-fly zone you know, jokingly, that's, it's true. Like you got to come here. Like anybody who comes here, we say, well, who are you working with here? Who, who are the boots on the ground here? We have to make sure that this is something that, um, that we stick together and work together as one, um, as Detroiters. Um, so we were doing that with the venues and we brought all the venue, uh, community together. We, we have one text where so we can text and get out to every promoter, every curator, every, um, club owner in the city. And then when the pandemic hit this summer, as you all saw that Detroiters, like everybody left, a lot of people left because they were, they had the opportunity to downtown was busier than I had seen it in, you know, it was Detroiters, (laughs) 99% black saying, got our city back. We got our downtown back and we're going to wild out and have a good time. So In the midst of that, we had everybody already organized, so we were able to work with venues to keep them open, to make sure everyone's wearing masks, to keep people safe, to keep people, you know, from, you know, we had a lot of, you know, uh, issues with, you know, with guns and things like that, things we deal with, but they were proactive measures. Rather than throw a bunch of police at it, you know, throw resources at it, throw proactiveness at it, throw mental health at it, throw you know, things that, that can help people. So when they go to the party, they wake up the next day and they're like, wow, I got this free one 800 royce nine free mental health. Um, so we are working with all the venues to create awareness of resources, jobs. Can you imagine if you go to a club and you hit a QR code and you know, you're whatever, drinking, smoking, having a good time. And you just happen to wake up the next morning and there's a, there's a, there's a job opportunity on your, on your phone. Those are the kind of things we were able because we organized everybody. We're able to um, to work with, and now we're starting to um, program some of this in public space in order to when other people start coming back. My my whole big thing, and I think the city is like minded. I know the mayor is. I know that you know DDP, all the people that are that are that are programming a lot of these public spaces. That we knew who's supporting our city, what the foundation of our city is, and we have to make sure that that's what we're building our city off of that foundation. That was there all summer long and supported our city when a lot of people had the opportunity to go elsewhere so
1: yeah and i'm wondering um you spoke a bit about it but you know i'd like you to um talk about equity because that is a foundation of your work so i wanted you to share a little bit about how you practice equity
2: i mean equity is is you know um First, you got to be the change, right? You got to you got to lead by example. Um, all my all the businesses that you know, obviously with with Vish, um, he's you know he owns his label, he's fifty percent partner. I'll call it a black owned business. I'm just you know an ally and a partner in it, and, and bring my resources to it. We are culture creators, is, is is black and Latino owned. I'm just a partner. Every time we do an event, every time we bring an artist in, um, with artists we give them you know they own their masters, they own their music we pay for it we'll take you know 25 percent because we got to cover our costs whatever it may be but they own all their music um if we have events where we're programming or we're you know we did an event called uh um, it was at the foundation hotel we did it for like 27 weeks uh called foundation after dark we had a partner um every thursday that was a Uh, collective whether it was hooligan whether it was crowd freak whether it was whoever it was we would use our resources for them to come in and be a partner in 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 the night so everybody has ownership and we're able to you know to to you know get people paid in terms of legitimately where they're curating an event they're bringing in artists and how do we get the whole ecosystem paid and make sure that artists are are you know are valued and people know the value of artists and people are. You know, I I think we saw during um, the pandemic that artists were the ones that are left out. This newest stimulus relief bill, artists are actually part of the the stimulus relief because Washington realized that, man, who entertained everybody during that time? The content is king still, but content was king. Um, in, In those times where everybody wants to be entertained in their house and we're not taking care of artists. So artists need to, 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 you know, to own their music, independent artists, we can work with the industry, we can work with the platforms, we can work with all this, you know, but, but artists need to be making sure that, that, their, that their wealth is being built. Um, and, and that's the, the, the equity piece, you know, is that you go into a deal, in Piper, again, I am mean, gonna you come from the music industry, you know, some of the shadiness that's been, we've had it done to us where people will take our music and I still see some of Vicious's music posted today. I have no clue who put it up, who's collecting in in, in how it's even on these platforms and he's not getting anything for it. You know what I'm saying? So, so um, I've changed all that since we started the label that now he owns all his music and he's got his own publishing company. And I think that's the, you know, that's the thing that, that we all have to fight for, you know, for, for, for the rights of, of what's, what's right. And what side of history do we want to be on? You know, I want to be on the side of history. That's the right side of history. So I think that's the, you know, that's the equity piece is making sure that, that everybody has, you know, you might make less, but you know what? Everybody around you is eating. I don't want to be around people that, that are starving while I'm, while I'm eating. You know what I mean? That's not, that's not cool. Yeah. Right.
0: I feel the same way. And it's uh, it's very interesting to hear you talk, Adrian. Without a doubt, you are an ally. I must say the intricacy in your thought, just not an ally for the Black community, but an ally for the city of Detroit, uh, specifically you being from the city and your family owning the restaurant. It just feels really refreshing to hear you speak the way that you do so genuinely. Um, I have to ask you, we talk about it being a closed loop system so that artists, um, can you guys hear me?
2: Yeah, absolutely, yep.
0: Okay. We talk about it being a closed loop system, you know, to keep our artists, to keep our talent and creatives here. And we are in a unique situation where we're from a city where we're like, you know, many of us are second to fourth generation um, music babies because of just where we come from. And then we have venues, right? We, I think we have an, you know, a decent amount of venues in the city that are still, you know, even though they may have, may be a part of a national organization, they still feel like Detroit venues. So, can you talk to us a little bit about what your favorite venues are? You know, even if it's Aretha Franklin, um, that used to be, you know, what is that, Shane Park? Mm-hmm. Um, from the Fillmore to you know the Magic Stick, where I used to work in the pizzeria inside of Sergeant Pepperonis. Just give us, you know, what a little bit of context of you know, I know post COVID, pre COVID, of how do we engage people in these venues, L Club, what, you know, just talk to us about your favorite venue and then your thoughts on how do we engage the city to kind of feed this ecosystem?
2: So so the venues that are, that are, that are thrived during the summer are the local venues, Society, um, you know, Greek obviously, uh, oh, Teresa's on Six Mile, you know, the ones that are here that are, have one unit and could, could pivot and could really, you know, the owners are on premise. Uh, those are the ones we really, really worked with, and and were able to. Um, to, to they like I said, they did some business this summer that they had never seen before. Um, then you have, like you said, the national artists. You have St. Andrews. You have the Fillmore. You have you know Live Nation venues. That it's all local leadership. But you know, I I had I had a meeting with um, Live Nation before, and they you know they want to do more here in Detroit, but we need to make sure that they are you know, they are partnering, they have JV partnerships rather than just come and buy a building, you know, then you get all these national acts that you can't ever get local acts on, on, on the bill. So how do we create opportunity for our artists that live here when you're pushing all these, 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 these national acts through and, and our locals don't even have a, have a, a chance to get on stage. Um, they changed their mentality on that and started working with us and, um, started, you know, working with different entities in the city and saying, you know, you're right, let's work together. Um, so those are the conversations that we're able to have. I think before there wasn't that intentionality of it. And we talk about intentionality, that's a big word. You can't just, you know, just talk it like you gotta live it every day, and every one of your actions has to point towards it. So um, I would say that um, you know, the Aretha obviously is city-owned, but Shahida is is a Detroiter, she's been here. Um, she is very, um, involved in the community and her family and her son and and everybody. Um, you have, uh, where else? I mean, there's all sorts of new venues that are, that are popping up. Um, and some venues that, that may not make it. Willis Show Bar was a great place that was doing great, um, great things for, uh, for local artists here. Um, you have, um, you know, some of the places downtown, I, you know, Bakers, we had a, a meeting with Bakers, um, they're back open now. Um, but they were, you know, obviously struggling for a while. Some of this, um, the the uh, Neva money. Are you familiar with Neva? It's the um, the National Independent uh, Venue Association um, fought really hard on a national level. And Shahida and a few others are part of the local coalition here that is um, has raised money for um, PPP money for these for these uh, for these venues. So. Um, I think everybody's going to be good um, right now. People are struggling, even, you know, the, the, the society, society is a black owned space in on Woodbridge in uh, district five uh, over by, uh, over by the Aletha, um that is going to spend a lot of money to, to put up tents outside and that in the backyard and we're trying to work with them. And, you know, um, I look at every weekend, I'm on a task force that uh, is, is the health department, and dpd and, and other authority that are very focused on health and safety and with that they have to go and they have to close places down that that aren't you know abiding to the you know to the to the mandates um but at the end of the day they can they will call me sometimes and be like adrian call them let them know that you know that they are this 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 and that and they need to you know they need to do this in order for us not to go there and that's like the city doing their thing but also giving proactively, giving businesses a chance to, you know, to thrive and to survive. And I, and, and I you know, I got to give it to our, our health director, Denise Fair, and, you know, obviously Chief Craig, but, but Hayes, Commander Hayes, and all these, uh, these guys that really care about the businesses here. Now, some places just are, aren't, you know, they they think they can get away with it. But we have to work together, you know. Um, so on a Monday, I'll talk to all of our we have business liaisons that I will meet with them. And if someone got issued a ticket or they got closed, they'll follow up with them right away and say, hey, here's how we're going to get you reopened. Here's how we're going to work with you. We have to take this seriously. We have to take the safety of our, you know, if you're 21, 22, 30, 40, whatever, you're going out to the club, there's a huge factor that you may be going home to your grandparent. You may be going home to your parent, whatever it is. And and we have to make sure to keep, you know, Detroiters safe. And that's the mayor's number one priority he comes from healthcare. So, and plus we have this, you know, this huge, obviously testing um, that we're doing and now it's the vaccine that we're doing. Um, So it's, so within the creative culture and the clubs and whatever it may be, it's all connected. The creative economy is all connected and, um, and, and and that, that's kind of what, what brings me to, like, I'm, I'm saying it's, it's, it's not just where the city is just doing, like the city is very, very involved in, these businesses it's not just running the 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 city during the day but the creative economy i really see a lot of um government officials and you know from rochelle to others to i got a call yesterday that um that lansing is introducing a 4 a.m tuesday morning and do we want to go and support it a liquor license that is you know that that you can stay open till 4 a.m so the conversation is really becoming to where people are starting to recognize and to appreciate the creative economy. So I think back to taking it back to these local venues and the national venues people realize what the value is to the economy and what the value is to social justice to you know to growing marginalized communities to doing all these things because the culture comes from the neighborhoods. You know, you know that black culture has been followed by everybody and that is the that is the the foundation. And people know that that is what is going to, 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 to grow people that, that, that this is like, this is the future and it should have been a long time ago, but for some reason people didn't, they didn't get it. Like we've been living this for a long time and we've got it. But being that we have all these different people, like all the work you guys have all been doing, decipher, um, you know, all these different people, the awareness, we are banding together to create awareness, to tell people that this is how the world is going to change to be a better place and we got to do it responsibly it can't just be a, a while and out and just like no regard for it's got to be done responsibly but again these spaces are bringing people together it's a major part of the ecosystem i feel of making the world a better place and i know you all feel it too because you live you breathe and sleep it.
1: and i'm wondering like also too with that the um how does your position intersect with um I'd say like the larger business community like I know specifically there are different you know companies and corporations that have moved their either their headquarters or or an office or or some representation um into the city of Detroit so um Like, I'll just, I'll just say, like, um, for instance, you know, the entire, um, you know, all of the shops that have come, you know, downtown, and then there's some other restaurants that have come downtown. I wonder how, um, how do you, how does your job intersect with any of those businesses or does it?
2: I mean, I work, you know, I work, it does, it does. A lot of the public spaces, like I said, we've been working with DDP to, You know um, Randolph Plaza, all these different places. Of how do you make sure that the 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 you know the community that supported us and we know again I keep going back to our foundation is not displaced when everyone comes back. So they are changing the way that they, whether sometimes in some leadership or whatever it may be. I know Bedrock brought in some new leadership um, that um, you know are very like minded and come from the community and. Know what the needs are, and um, whether they're from Detroit or not. Otto Adolfo from New York comes from the music business, It comes from Capitol Records, um, just um, doing some great things around entertainment. Uh, I think that it's uh, we're not Birmingham, and I think there was you know at some point there was we were creating a downtown that wasn't it wasn't for for Detroiters. Um, we have to think about Detroiters first. And everyone will, will will follow. I mean, people that are like minded will follow. Um, I think we have to learn from mistakes that other cities have made by displacing um, the 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 foundation that made them, you know, have their allure and their coolness and their you know their 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 factor of why people want to go to these cities. Um, so, businesses, it's it's my my position has really become, um, you know, um, I think a voice. I believe a voice that is, you know, people understand the value. And now we're surrounded by more like-minded people. I think we go back to what you don't know that you don't know. And the more of us there are of, you know, banding together, creating awareness, the more people are like, oh, I get it. Okay. I see. Let me take the blinders off. And I think a lot of the big companies are understanding that, Um, you know, the Dan Gilberts of the world and the, you know, the bedrocks, they got, you know, a big, big, big investment in the city. They got rent to pay. They got, you know, they got, you know, mortgages, they got all these different things. So I understand that they're trying to get, you know, these, these national chains in and all these different things, but how can we do pop-up space? How can we get a, you know, a designer, how can we get a pop-up pizza place from a Detroiter that, you know, um, we look at, um, and, and, and they, and they did a great job with, uh, you know, with Rosalind, Detroit is the new black and, and realize that the spaces that are not national spaces can't pay the same rent. So they've changed a lot of their business models and they have um, they've um, unfortunately it took a pandemic to really change the way a lot of people think. Um, but you know what? It it, it it has changed and all we can do is move forward. We can't go backwards or, you know, or, you know, it's living in the present. Um, and I think that we're going to see a different look. I think we're going to have a different mentality um, in our city. And I think our city is going to be a, a much more, greater and epic city because of it. Um, But I I feel that people are starting to, you know, to 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 be more like-minded about local and about supporting and about creating access and equity for our, you know, for Detroit proper residents and, you know, and people that that have come from the city, maybe expats, whatever it may be. Um, But I do um, you know, and if they if people don't, we have to be that constant reminder, reminder of things that you already know. Because sometimes people get comfortable, right? Um, we can't let anybody get comfortable. We got to make sure that we are constantly staying on top of people. So whether I'm in this position or I'm not in this position, whatever it may be, um, we're always going to try to do our thing to, to, to do the right thing. Um, not because we're like, oh, we got to do the right thing. It's because of who we are. And we don't want to, you know, we don't want to be anybody different. You know, so hopefully it's the time for, for this mentality to, um, you know, to win and to, to you know, to, to be the ones that are able to shape. The, the culture and be able to open doors and create seats at the table for our younger Detroiters that come from the city and are the Detroiters that um, that never left. You know, the mayor's number one, when I joined the administration, the number one principle is take care of the 750,000 Detroiters that stayed. And I think with music, with creative economy, with tech, with all these, this future, these are the kids of the 750,000 Detroiters that stayed. And that's what appealed to me so much about Um, about being a part of this administration is that I see that, you know, um, nine out of 10 times that, you know, that it is lived. Um, There's some things that, you know, that others maybe, you know, make decisions that are not, and then they get checked and by whether it's by council or whether by, you know, whoever it may be, and, and they get on the right path. But I think all in all businesses, the city, the private sector, whatever it may be are on a good trajectory of, doing the right thing and being on the right side of history.
1: And you know um I guess now it's shoot almost uh 8 years ago um Cranes Detroit did a um a study and I don't know if you have access to it but they actually um t- t- took about a year and I think if I'm not mistaken they spent about 30 million dollars, and they studied how much money Detroit was losing by not having a music industry, a local music industry, meaning, um, an ecosystem of, you know, uh, the venues, how the music's made distributed, so on and so forth. And it was upwards of like something like $300 million or something like that minimum. And, um, I remember because we were a part of, they did a tour, and they brought um, the different heads of music labels, um, like Sony and so forth, together with um, the heads of the auto industry, and for about a week, um, they got together, they toured the city, um, 5E Gallery, which I used to own, was one of the venues they came to. They went to the Techno Museum. They went to Archer Records. They went to Motown. They went to, you know, just all around um, the city. And then a year later, they came back together to, like, you know, study the data. And I think at the time, there were different projects that were on the table. I don't want to name them just in case people are still in negotiation, but let's just say there were some people here who are known in hip-hop on a high level, that we're having conversations with people here who uh, do development, and um, about creating uh, theater. And then um, there was another like Grammy Award-winning artist that was having conversation with um, same said developer about uh, creating bringing uh, bringing a, a label, a major label here. And so I'm wondering, um, are you aware of or involved in? any of those types of conversations and also too i wonder if um you have any relationship with the uh detroit homecoming organization um that's full of the detroit ex expats um and i'm I'm, you know those are just a couple questions i have
2: yeah yeah so so definitely um detroit homecoming has you know they've been more around tech and around investment around development there there really hasn't been a music lane or a film lane in in detroit homecoming incredible event incredible event i've always attended and i've always um a lot of great people have come through Um, i you know what there's a lot of people that i've had i could tell you in the last six months i've had major labels major artists major this one wants to meet this one wants to meet this one wants to come to detroit we all know that we have we we can't depend on it. No one's coming to save us. We don't want to be saved, but no one's coming to save us. No one's coming. We have to create it out the mud, and, 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 and that's why it's so important to support who's here, who's doing the music, create access, equity for those that are here and those that are doing it. Our artists that are here, um, when they come, and uh, you know, I always take the meetings because I'm just like, that's you know, wow, you want to come here, but. I've had so many meetings where they just, you know, where you spend days and days with people and show them around and then you don't hear from them. Um, so that's kind of, it's a, it's a bit frustrating in a sense when it comes to music. I know a lot of developers have met with the mayor and they've come and done great projects here and invested in the city. And, you know, but on the creative, um, you know, the creative side of it and the music side of it, um, we, we're a roll up your sleeves kind of town. And that's what, you know, that's what we're doing is we have to create it And I always tell everybody, because they're like, oh, we're going to come and create 30,000 jobs. I said, you know what you can do first is support what's going on here already. You know, go into invest in a festival, invest into a, you know, to a, a, you know, the the hooligan, somebody that's doing some activation, someone that's doing, you know, the work already. Um, You know, even in the cannabis industry right now, you know, you have like Al Harrington, you have C-Web, you have all these guys that are, you know, coming here and they're doing business and they're, they're they're investing in in the economy that's already here and they got it right because they want to invest in the people. And that's where you, you know, buildings are great. We have tons of buildings, like invest in the people and then you'll see things grow solidly foundationally. um, And that's the way to do it. And, you know, like I said, a lot of meetings um, you know, the things that are coming to fruition are um, the film uh, incentive was introduced. um, Adam Holly introduced it uh, in the, in the Senate. Um, and that's being, um, looked at right now. So we're hopefully going to get a film incentive back. Um, my thing with them and Rochelle is we've been meeting with them been part of this group for a couple of years now, um, that we want to include music videos in it because it's great to have, you know, film and in, 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 in commercials and, you know, car commercials and this and that. but music videos could be a game changer. Um, so that's something that can really bring a lot of business here. Um, the 4am uh there's um some other legislation that that we're working on that even our sound ordinance do you know that you can't have outdoor speakers past 10 p.m in the city so if to the discretion of of you know dpd is that if we want to turn the music off at 10 p.m we can it should go at least till midnight you know at least outside and then that's respectable and then in my neighborhood where i live i live on 94 and trumbull we have art park we have filthy americans we have um, all these different um, brands that are here that I can go to bed, like on movement weekend, I can go to bed on a Thursday night, wake up Tuesday, and the music has not stopped. It's just like, boom, boom, boom. And I can walk outside at three, three in the morning. And there's 5,000 people in Art Park, white, black, red, yellow, gay, straight, Jewish, Muslim, just, just vibing. I mean, it's the craziest thing, you know, it's so beautiful. Um, so dope yeah yeah it really is so so that's the kind of city that we you know that we want to be like like a movie you know what i mean where everyone's looking out for each other and and, and people are coming from all over the world to experience something that's responsible safe yet like some some epic epic you know i won't say (laughs) some some epicness (laughs) i'll leave it at that were you gonna were you gonna say some epic shit yeah i was but (laughs) it's cool i said it for you i'm your angry translator (laughs) have less you read my mind yeah
1: (laughs) i'm so i've asked you you like a bunch of questions i wonder do other folks have questions
0: i feel the same way i'll let deja and jaira take lead
2: Yeah, I feel like I'm talking too much, so um, please. (laughs)
0: No, Adrienne, thank you. You are not talking too much
2: at all. We need this.
0: No. Yeah,
4: I've been enjoying myself just listening to the whole conversation. You guys are asking if we enjoyed the piece about music. I'm excited to see what happens moving forward with the city, and I'd like to be a part of it.
2: Hey, when are we going to hear your beats? Like, that's the whole thing. Like, there's a whole, like, you know... There's a bunch of dope rappers that are looking for, especially from a, a female producer. Like, come on.
4: Mm-hmm. I buddy. know. and I have
2: <laughs> you, have to... the, you have the opportunity to like be big time here, you know, so I would definitely like to see yeah. what. I mean, the cool yeah, thing please. I
0: like about you too, this... Deja. Sorry, go ahead, Deja. Mm hmm.
4: Oh, no, I was just going to say, I just have to like spend more time getting better at the programs that I have because I kind of use my phone, but I like what I do at the same time, like the ways I'm able to innovate with what I don't know and make up for what I lack. But yeah, I just really need guidance. (laughs) Hello? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Oh, definitely. I'm going to my number is 570-7497, 313-570-7497. 570-7497, 313-570-7497. Deja or anybody that's listening, if you call me anytime, text me, um, there are so many different avenues in order to, um, to connect for guidance, for mentorship, for cultivation. Um, you know, that's one beautiful thing about um, these days in the city and, and, and is people are, are, you know, some of the, the OGs or whatever, maybe are willing to step up and be like, how can I help? um so so there's a lot of opportunity so um the guidance is there it's there it's just gotta you just gotta know where to go and, and whatever it may be
1: yeah i wonder um Jira, do you have questions
3: um not really i mean i'm with uh, deja the same i was just listening and you know just admiring all the um wonderful things that you were saying uh it was great to just hear how you know much some people are really you know contributing to the city
2: so so you tell me so you guys being youth and, and all what what is it like like we obviously talked and we said but what didn't you hear like how can we serve you better how can we do things that you're like I didn't hear you say this, this is where my mind's at is well that- you
0: you said something but I really I'm glad you asked that question so I talk about it all the time, Adrienne. I'm recently in a blessed situation that a Keebalon Village has a commercial kitchen, a full commercial kitchen. And Detroit is a little bit different than like LA. I have a friend that walked to her city council um, in LA, decided that she was going to do a vegan pop-up stand and got her food licensing within seconds. In Detroit, it's a little different in order for you to go through the full food licensing process, you have to have a commercial kitchen that you piggyback off of. However, there aren't that many commercial community kitchen options in the city of Detroit that are, real to me, realistic base in price, realistic base in ex, uh, expectancies. Um, shout out to the Brightmoor Community Kitchen. Um, they do help people in, that are in the process of Trying to get their food license, get their food license so that they can, you know, use the, their kitchen space. But I would say, um, and then shout out to uh, D Town Farms, who Piper is associated with. They're doing some amazing things with their food co-op. Um, but I would say accessibility uh, versus the amount of people that I personally know that are chefs, that are all kinds of chefs. I'm talking about burgers, vegan food cake makers cheesecake makers um bakers all these people that are still cooking illegally to just to be honest because mm-hmm. they don't have the resources or the money to pay a, a a monthly fee for a commercial kitchen i mean it just the balance is awkward for me and then the other thing like i told you last year uh through piper i was able to start a pop up business and you mentioned Willis showbar Shout out to them. They were our basically they were our flagship space last year where, you know, we came in, we made we, we set up our own kitchen. You know, we had a griddle. We had a fire. You know, we did our own thing. We did our own setup and we served all different types of, you know, plant based po-boys. We did, um, you know, oyster, mushroom, chicken and
2: waffles. So, so they treated it as a pop-up. So they, they rented out their space to you and you kind of just did your thing and then you obviously served their clientele. How did that work out for you as a business entity?
1: Uh, she she her reception fell off, but I can tell you um, she did very well. She actually was able to bring in um, a couple of partners and one partner... Uh, specialized in the desserts and another well her mom came and helped her behind the scenes you know with the prep and and her other partner helped her um conceive of the food and cook the food as well and basically Willis shobar asked them from the night that we did to do some other nights and so um you know what what Willis shobar would do would be bring in the different, um, food folks and different bartenders and then ask for, um, promoters like myself to take over, you know, a certain night and then, um, you know, all of it would work together and then everyone would, you know, promote the night and then a certain, uh, portion of the proceeds, I think either go to the kitchen or they pay up front. I'm not sure what the business arrangement, um, right they had was, but it was something like that.
2: But it was a good, it was a good, I mean, it was Willis Showbar rather than just saying, Hey, we're going to pay you, you know, $15 an hour to make pizzas back there and make your thing. We're going to, you're a, you're a partner. And that's the way that the business model could where everybody can make something rather than just like, this is a job for you. No, this is an opportunity for you to, to start a business and create something and we're helping you do that. I mean, I, I did hear, you know, Willis Showbar was doing a lot of things like that to create, that's what we were talking about, creating opportunity and equity and, 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 and you know, in, in cultivating, you know, the next generation of, of, of culinary or artists or whatever it may be. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and they're a good partner. I mean, I did, they um, actually, Sean, Patrick, um, who is the owner Had asked myself Stacy DJ the legendary DJ Stacy Hotwax, and um, Drake Pfeiffer of Urban Organic, um, and Kendra Parker. We all came together as promoters to bring our respective people together, and um, and then you know we we had a Tuesday, and then every Tuesday, you know we would do that Tuesday night on the promotion, and then there would, like I said, be um, specialty bartenders from the different, the popular bartenders from different um, bars and things would come in and like make like a, a short menu of like five special drinks with a, and then he would get a liquor sponsor, like um, to uh, prioritizing local, um you know, liquor makers to, um, you know, prom- um, sponsor the evening. And then the vegan chefs or it was all types of chefs actually would do like a special short menu. And then, but then Willis show bar also had its own menu, but um, it was really, really um, streamlined its own menu. And um, you know, he had the, the, the bartenders that people, you know, uh, know from the other bars that would come in as like a guest bartender. And so um that worked out really well because, like I said, it was all cross promotional. So all those people working together, you know, to make the night good. But, um, but oh wait, I see, uh, I see Britney's back. So I don't know if Britney oh, sorry. wanted to yeah. add on.
0: He my asked the question. Yeah, I'm he sorry. Asked the
1: question about how um, how the night went for you, or how your experience with Willis Show
0: Bar went. Oh. You know? It was, abso- it was absolutely amazing. I mean, Sean is an amazing dude. He's from LA. And it just so happens to be that he has this, like you said, this space where he's doing so much community activism. He's putting on, I don't care if you're black, white, jazz musician, hip hop musician, DJ, he's opening his space to, you know, artists in Detroit. And then he did the same thing for food. So for us, he was a vegan. So I think he was a little bit in our corner because we made food that, you know, was to his liking and, you know, we went back. I mean, it started with us doing, I think Piper called us in there to interview with him and we did one show in October of last year and then right, our last pop-up there was March 12th and that was the month that we were getting ready to do a Yelp event, right? Right. And then Uh we were getting ready to do a monthly thing at Willis. And then, you know, COVID hit, which is you just talked about it early on is in the food industry. You have to be able to adapt. You have to be able to be consistent with your product, but you have to be able to adapt. So I would say that my time at Willis was well served. Um, I've never experienced anything like doing pop ups. It has taught me that I'm. With me having a nine to five, I'm not necessarily ready quite yet to do a Monday through Sunday operation, which is perfectly fine. Um, I'm digressing. I would say I told you I went to Italy to study pizza for a little while, but I also went to this pizza expo in Vegas and I was so embarrassed. This was like in 2015 and all these people were coming up to me saying, hey, like, where's your where's your pizza place? You're from Detroit, Detroit style pizza. Where's your pizza place? And I'm like, well, I don't have one. And they're like, well, don't be embarrassed. Like we had money. We had the money to invest in a restaurant and we failed miserably. Like we just so happened to have the money to keep it going, but you're in the right spot. So, you know, I would say that the next phase of doing the pop-ups at Willis for me is like me going to culinary school, right? I'm learning the business side. I'm learning that the food industry is high paced um, and that if you want to keep profits, you you know you have to watch your food cost um, I'm, I learned all kind of things you know so
2: but did it not- did it work out as a pop-up though for you in terms of like economic? Yeah. did it did it, yeah. it did it did. Yes. It did. I'm really interested. I think that's a great concept to, you know, to, you know, to someone curates a space and then brings in rather than hires, you know, a a chef or or a cook for fifteen, twenty dollars an hour, like bring someone in that is has their own business, let them take, you know, whatever their food costs are plus their, you know, 50% 50% of, you know, their profit margin. And then you either get, you know, you do a profit share, you do something like that. And you're able to not only cultivate new business, but it, it becomes this, this partnership. If we do that across the city, then it creates authentic, like, you know, experience, you know?
0: I'm telling you in New York, right? There's so much real estate there that goes up and down. And I saw it five years ago where they had, you could rent a space easily, like an Airbnb right, for $3,000 some dollars or, you know, $2,000 for two days where you go in, you know, you, there's a specific building for restaurants. So the restaurant, you know, may have a baker's pie. They may have a mixer, you know, so that a pizza pop-up could come or, a, you know, an Italian restaurant pop-up could come or an Asian, you know, I agree with you. I think it's very, very, very much so needed because again, we have a lot of bakers we have a lot of cooks and chefs from a standpoint of there being just a designated space or there being a room in the legislation for food licensing for pop-ups. Like I didn't fit in that category to be completely transparent because the, the there's no real legislation for food pop-ups here, right? I think Detroit's food code is amazing because when you go on the city's website, it tells you everything you need to do as a small business owner food space what you need to do to get your licensing, but again, if you're doing pop-ups, right, where you're going into different bars and you're going into different places, there isn't really a a, a process for that quite yet. No. So I would mm-hmm. say if if it if that changes and there's you know more like with what you're doing, you're kind of you're bridging the gap in between government and the you know the community. I, I mean, it's just a brilliant idea. It works. The you know the money that we made, you know, like for Willis. Not to talk too much, but for Willis, his thing was this, just bring a crowd. I'm here. Detroit needs, his thing was the same thing as you. You know, Detroit needs to increase their nightlife. So Piper was doing a promotional thing there on Tuesdays, I think. And so the other thing that he used were these pop-up, you know, having different pop-up places come in and it yeah. worked, you know, you make some good money. He, you know, he didn't want anything other than, you know, you bringing people in that like to drink. So his, you know, that he's covering his bar on a Tuesday or a Thursday night. L Club, they took 30%. They had a pizzeria inside the L Club and they left. And, you know, they started their own pizzeria, Grandma Bob's off of Trumbull. So he had a pizza oven, he had a full kitchen. And his thing was, is, hey, at the end of the concert, just throw me, you know, throw me, I think it was, I can't remember, was it? It was either, it was between 15 and 30%. But it wasn't bad, you know? I made good money and to give a venue like that, that type of money after a good night, it doesn't feel bad at all, you know? So-
2: that's good I, I'd like to sidebar on that and, and you know one day have a conversation because I'm really curious on how you um how that worked out because i there's some some projects in mind that I'm you know I think there's opportunity um in other spaces so let's uh let's do that definitely I yep. would
0: love the opportunity Adrian for sure
2: okay.
1: yeah, and also too I'm wondering um do you have any like input on the food truck industry here at all with your position
2: Uh, You know what, what's kind of, because it falls into nighttime. So um, uh, Lopez's office called me council member, uh, Lopez, great um, community advocate. Absolutely. Um, But she called and and, uh, she said that uh, we're only being allowed because she wrote, she rewrote the food, uh, the food uh, truck ordinance. She says, Adrian, I need your help. I said, she says, it's only goes till two in the morning. What can we do? And I said, you're right. Like when the venues let out, we got to have food trucks at least till four right? You know, people get out, they sober up a little bit. You put a food truck in one of the venues. So we um, ended up working with DPD and DPD. Um, they uh, said we can go till four and then open up back at five thirty. So you're closed for about an hour and a half, just because they were worried about, you know, um, public safety and, you know, someone's going to get in the middle of the night, but if you have more action in the middle of the night, it's, it's scientifically metrically proven that are uh, metrically proven that your crime goes down because there's you know lights, there's people out, there's action, there's activity, there's you know. So um, I was able to work with uh, with uh, you know with Lopez and DPD um, to extend the hours, and she wrote the new ordinance that we have our food trucks uh, hours now extended. So cool, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, that's a huge. You know, I know a lot of. Brick and mortar sometimes, you know, get upset with, uh, with that. But as long as you're, you know, as long as you're doing it respectfully and you're not right in their parking lot or you're not, you know, um, I think there's enough to go around for everybody. That's why we need more people here, you know, we need people to, you know, once we set up our foundation here and we get people working and we get people that live, work and play here, like we need to work with Amtrak. We need to work with Delta. We need to work with the airlines, just like they do in, in, you know, in, in, in uh, Europe, where people go to Berlin for the weekend because they know it's a place that they can go and they can, you know, have a, a weekend of entertainment. Um, and we're the same thing, you know, right by, you know, East and West Grand Boulevard, where we're really looking at, you know, Really looking at you got Motown on one side, you got UR and Submerge on the other side. You got all these new venues that are going to be opening up. Hopefully you got, you know, the ecosystem, the Fisher. you got the St. Regis that there's going to hopefully be some, um, you know, some activation going on um, that Amtrak is right there. So you can, you know, go Amtrak, walk to the St. Regis, stay there and stay in that block for the whole week or the whole weekend and be able to go to, you know, 10 different venues and, um, and, and and all in walking distance. I mean, you know, you got jam handy there, you got, um, you know, you got all those different places there. So that's the kind of thing we need to bring more people here, but we need to make sure that we're again, unified and we're all, you know, together working as one Detroit and looking out for each other and networking, you know, sideways rather than, you know, looking for, you know, to, to get the next break, somewhere else when we, you know, when we can do it with each other.
1: And what do you think it'll take for, because I guess like one of the, I'll say like my experience um, being on the board of different organizations and things and, you know, being a so-called decision maker as to like, you know, budgets and festivals and all types of, you know, things one of the conversations that usually comes up somewhere along the line, whether I I remember I was doing something with, uh, working to get some uh, funding to do, um, to put up graffiti and, um, you know, the folks that were at the table were like, you know, we want to get some quote unquote, you know, real artists, want to fly folks in from LA. And and I found myself being, you know, want to pay them like, 50k plus their expenses blah 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 and I'm like hey we have graffiti artists here you know world-renowned graffiti artists here and it's like oh you know they treat them like criminals and want to put them in jail and or not pay them or tell them that they'll just give them some paint you know Um, and they're gonna fly these other artists in and like treat them you know roll out the red carpet and that, that's on the visual art end, but I've had the other thing happen, you know, when I've been uh, try to suggest other artists and I had to prove, you know, that these artists were worth something, you know, and we're talking about, you know, major artists that are here, that are based here. And so what do you think it will take for the folks that are here that are decision makers that get a chance, that, that are the ones that decide these budgets and things, how can they be convinced or how can how can they be transformed to understand that the artists that are here should be paid you know on that level and not just the not just the big name you know people but you know the other artists that are that are here in our city like what will it take so that that dynamic can shift
2: I mean, I think uh, again, banding together, working with um, the different you know, I had a conversation with uh, with Ford uh, last week. And you know, and I always say that our big three, God bless them, but they have not tapped into our music community here. Like cars, music, and tech are like Detroit, what it's known for. And our, our automotive has not tapped into the music industry here, which could be a game changer. You know, um, so I said, um, you know, we were talking about some ideas, and I said, you know, you have the new the new train depot um, that they're going to have. You know, so many employment, They're doing some great work over there, but invest in your community that's already there and, and and also infuse music into it. And I think it's just having, they're like, wow, we didn't really think of that. You know, like not that they're not thinking, I mean, they're as innovative as they come, but they're just like, wow, that's a really great, how can we connect to some of these artists? And I think it's just, again, creating awareness. It's the awareness piece. Um, It's having the conversations. It's making sure that intentionally the right people are at the table. Cause sometimes, you know, Um, And that's the thing about, you know, having people that are from the community live in the community are at the table. And that's a that's such a game changing, um, you know, variable is that if you're if you're, you know, in a sense of, I don't want to say from the ivory towers in a sense, but if you are, you're not, you're not in touch with, with the mud, with the fabric. I think it's great that, that, you know, the mayor has, has hired a lot of people that, that are, you know, they're, they're one foot in, one foot out They They live in the neighborhoods. And, and that's one thing that, um, you know, I've, I've lived in the city pretty much, you know, most of my life, but at the time of the, 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 the um, the, when we were running, I was living behind the restaurant in Farmington Hills. And the mayor was like, listen, if we win this thing, you have to move back to the city. And I was like, I want to, but it's like how <laughs> like, to find the right place. Um, and it, and it, and it, I had to work really hard to, 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 move back. But, um, that's a, it's a big thing about people that work for the city, live in the city. Um, and that's another thing I really respect about our administration is that, you know, mostly everybody whose core lives here. Um, so I think that, um, I think that, uh, those are the things is just, it's, it's being intentional and that will change things. And then having these conversations, not being, you know, shy about it either, you know, be diplomatic, be, you know, um, where you're, you're supporting because sometimes you don't see like some of these companies, they have things that because you're not in it, you may not see that they're dealing with this, this, or that. Um, so I think it's just, uh, again, the intentionality, I know I say that a lot, the intentionality and, in, in, in just making sure that the right people are at the table and the right people are, are, are doing the right things. Um, so it's, it's, it's work, it's work in progress and it's, you know, nothing truly good comes easy. We all been doing this, uh, you know, a, a long time and, um, we, um, you know, we just gotta, we gotta keep every day, wake up and just stay relentless.
1: Thank you. Well, um, well, before we go, I still I just want to see if anybody had any other questions before we wrap up. No, I'm good. Thank you. That's,
2: this has been a marathon a little bit, huh? <laughs> <Right>.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, because you do so much and you're really a behind the scenes type guy. But at the same time, it's weird. Like everyone knows you and everyone loves you. So that says something about
2: <laughs> that. Not, not so. I'll give you some names.
1: well join the club Yeah. um, yeah but i mean you know i appreciate you being an advocate i appreciate you know i mean and the other thing we didn't even talk about is your advocacy and your activism you know um and you being in the streets you know fighting against police terrorism and all of that you know
2: yeah, well, I don't even, you know, I, I, you want me to tell that story real quick? So the night that um, the first night of the protests, um, I was uh, I was out with DPD and we were tear gassing. And um, the next night um, in, in DPD, I'm very close to DPD, you know, but but for there, you know, people were throwing railroad tracks, bikes and hitting. You know, it was it was bad. It was violent. It was bad. Right. Um, but the next night they called, said, we'll pick you up at eight. I said, I'm out here marching with like our kids, like all of our, you know, our artists and everybody. Um, and we got to the front lines and they were going to, to tear gas. And I called, I said, you can't, these are all of our locals. Now there were, while we were marching, there were, there were like these white boys, they were coming up with AKs and guns and our, and our youth were like, get out of here. You're going to get us killed. Like, what are you doing here? And and they kind of shooed them off. Um, but we all know that there were a lot of other organizations that hid behind the real marches in the real protests. Right. Um, and so I didn't even know I'd have my job the next day, but um, it ended up being that you know uh, we were there and we were doing the right thing and we were advocates. I mean, I went to Washington in March during you know MLK's anniversary, everything, um, just because um, I, it, it's I, I don't know. I, I don't think you choose things; that chooses you in a sense. But um, that's about when you're when you're in the mud, when you're in the fabric, when you're with the people. It's great to be able to serve because you you know where the truth is, you know what the importance is, and you know that um, no matter what, you, the people are first, the people are first, and that's it. And I know DPD too, and, and I don't want to get too, but a lot of them would be, you know um, some of my best friends are, are, are some DPD and these guys, you know, these, these are members of, of the city. Um, and it was just really hard to be on both sides, but if you put people first, um, that's where you're always, um, I think you're always going to land in the right place when you put people first. So yeah. that was real, yeah. a lot, been a lot more complicated, but Oh yeah, um, I know. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, yeah. but hopefully, um, we, I, I think we were uh, here in, in in the city. I think that um, we were able to, um, you know, to be a beacon for a lot of other cities um, because we do have a, a relationship with the community, um, and and a lot of the police force look like you know, our, our, citizens and, and are, 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 from the city. Um, but it's not perfect or it's, it's always work in progress. You know, I'm part of a, a team that, um, chief Craig's internal and external, um, community affairs, um, team that I, you know, go to these meetings and it's, it's tough. It's, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to even like, um, you know, that's, that's some of the work that, that you do and you hear some of the residents and then you hear some of the officers that, you know, have been shot at and have been have other officers, their partners killed and this and that. And it's just like it gets so complicated. It's so complicated. But um, the DPD officers that I'm friends with are, are they're they are some incredible human beings. So,
1: no, I gotcha. And so, yeah, I just want to thank you for stopping through and like, you know, sharing with us about this position as the, uh, say the, say the title again, cause I'm going to call you the nightlife mayor. <laughs> so,
2: well, so, so the first, the first, uh, interview I did when I got the position, I said, you're the new nightmare of Detroit. I said, don't ever use that word. There's only one mayor in the city. We know how, you know, you, you're elected by the people. So we started calling it uh, nighttime uh, economy ambassador. And then Rochelle's like, you work 24 hours a day. She's like, I'm going to call you the 24 hour economy ambassador. So that's the name that stuck. So that's the name that we're putting in the books the 24-hour economy ambassador
1: okay that works
2: Yeah, rochelle riley i'll give it to her yeah we're
1: gonna have to get her on the show
2: yeah she would be great she's 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 doing yeah
1: thanks for thanks for you know stopping by and you know just letting us know a little bit about you because we just see you with your fresh uh gear on around the city looking mysterious and clean yeah you know but now we know uh <laughs> who, who the man is behind the gucci frames <laughs>
2: <laughs> i guess that, that's funny that you say that um god bless <laughs> guys from detroit versus everybody who just dropped their gucci uh versus everybody i don't know if you all saw that
1: yeah and there was the whole exhibit that they did here and everything
2: yeah 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 so hopefully that's- good um, but you know what? I, I just want to say it, it's an honor to you know to be on on, on your podcast and um, to to talk to everyone and uh, let's just you know let's stay relentless and, and keep moving and remember we're only as good as our last performance and, and uh, let's do our work together.
1: And then, how can people um, connect with you and get involved or support what you're doing?
2: Three one three five seven zero seven four nine seven. Just text text preferably. Um, if you call, definitely, but text, um, I'm really kind of, you know, OCD about getting back to people. So I'll be, I, I
1: appreciate that.
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, peace and love, y'all. Thank you. Yeah. so. Much.
1: Thank you so much. And, you know, just want to thank you to Adrian Tanone, who is just amazing, 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 incredible human being. And as you can see in here, um, all of the great things that he's doing to advocate for arts and culture economy in the 24 hour economy in our city uh concentrating on the creative sector and how we can build wealth generational wealth so thank you for that and yeah this has been the piper carter podcast thank you for tuning in you can listen to us on all streaming platforms we want you to share like share subscribe we're also on YouTube now as well. So check us out there. And if you want to connect with us or have a conversation, of course, you can join our Facebook group, Piper Carter Podcast. You can always find us on social media. We are on Instagram, pc.podcast, as well as on Facebook. And of course, you want to check the Detroitisdifferent.net podcast network website. For our podcast as well as all the other
0: podcasts. And stay safe. And we will see you. Next week. Remember to like, share, subscribe, and always listen on Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Store, and Spotify.
1: I don't feel the same.